Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that, you did, not, that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and spout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose." and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees in the, of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Paul. You can put it over there. Sorry about that. That's, uh, you hate to be left in that spot in front of everyone while you're uh, putting the mic away. <laughs> My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to preach this. I just want to stop and just thank God for Isaiah. So one thing I think about in my vocation, you all have uh, your unique vocations, but I have a limited amount of books of the Bible I'm going to get to teach her. At some point, I'm going to teach my last book, and I'm going to retire or get pushed out of here by Xavier and Chandler, or I'm going to be dead, and I'm going to be done. We have a limited amount of time on this earth to enjoy sitting under God's word together, and he did not have to give us his word. Based off our original parents' decision to rebel and choose life on their own, he could have left us to ourselves, but he pursued us, and he pursued us, and his word and his son are the ultimate pictures of the fact that he keeps coming after us. And he speaks to us, not just like a general uh, banner statement being pulled by a plane in the sky for us, but specifically by his spirit, through his word, he comes in here and he speaks to us. And that is a gift that none of us deserve. And we get to hear that again. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the fact that God gave us his word. So I want to stop and just in your own heart, just thank God for another round in his word together as a church family. So let's pray.
God, we thank you for your word that you, by your spirit, inspired men to speak and to write with the authority of God, not because of anything in and of themselves, but because of the spirit that was moving and inspiring and giving life to these words. And thank you for those that recorded these, copied them down, those who preserved them, and those who have gone before us who have held this book as sacred, as vital, as the divinely inspired word of the Creator God. And God, thank you for this church family, Redemption Church, which did not start with me, started long before me, but started with men and women who thought that this book was your word and built churches as such that honored your word. So we want to honor your word again by preaching it, unpacking it, and listening to it as your people. So we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the end of Isaiah. This is Palm Sunday. Usually, if you went to a good church, uh, like my wife did growing up, your pastor would have come to the stage riding a donkey. However, you do not go to that great of a church. I will not be on a donkey, because wife said that's the one, for better or for worse, the one ex- exception in our wedding vows was if you ever ride a donkey, we're done. We're done. So Isaiah 55, here's... What this is, this is the end of Isaiah's little mini poem about Jesus. And this is sort of his like announcement call to us, to Israel back then, to the global church historically that's read this, and to us in this room. Here's the good news. And multiple people have said this, so I just took it and ran with it. What this message is, is it's too good to be true. Here's sort of our big idea. Come and eat. This is the invitation that is simply too good to be true. In our preaching collective, all of us Sunday preachers get together and talk through the message, and multiple people said, this is too good to be true. I have a, started a little mini preaching collective here at North Mountain on Wednesday afternoons with folks from our church. The same comment was made. This is too good to be true. What is this message about? It's about the news that is too good to be true. And specifically, here's what we're going to do, just so you note takers to help you track. There's one invitation in here. There's two requirements, and there's three offers of this invitation. One invitation, two requirements, and three offers. So that's what we want to do here. Just to give you context, if you're walking in here for the very first time, here's what we've been going through. Isaiah, just the last few, Isaiah 52, 53, 54, and 55 uh, are the end of this poem. It started in Isaiah 40. It ends in Isaiah 55. And here's what we've been studying in the last few weeks. Isaiah 52, Israel's exile is pictured, and God says, hey, you're going to walk free. Babylon is no longer in charge of you. Come out. Walk. Don't sprint out. Don't hurry out. Just strut out. Your exile is over. And then Isaiah 53 is the most beautiful, maybe passage in all of scripture talking about the suffering servant. Isaiah, I mean, Xavier talked about what Isaiah is talking about, namely the person of Jesus, the fact that God became man and he did not become an impressive man. He became a man from a lowly place in a lowly way, in a lowly town. He was not easy to look at. Most people turned their face away from him and the end of his life culminated with him on a cross, naked and ashamed. And that is our God. That's also how we are saved. Isaiah 54, then last week, if you were here, I talked about the reversal. The whole story of Israel is a story of reversal. 
They were afflicted. They were shameful. They were beat down. They were broken. And God reverses their fortunes. And he steps into their story and restores them. And now Isaiah 55 is, look what I've done for Israel. Now Isaiah gets up on a mountain and announces, this news is for everyone. This isn't just ethnic, specific Israel. Get in on this. Everyone. And now there's one invitation for all of us in this room, all of us in this world. Let's read it together. Here's the one invitation we hear from Isaiah. Isaiah 52, or 55, verse 1 and 2. And remember my prayer at the beginning. This is God's gracious word for us. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Here's the invitation. Very beginning, verse 1. Come, everyone. Who is this church for? Everyone. Who is Christianity for? Everyone. Who is Jesus for? Everyone. Come all to this invitation. Christianity is not exclusive in its invitation. Its exclusivity pops in when you enter into the invitation and follow down the narrow path. But the initial call by Jesus is for everyone. The most worthless feeling person in this room. Come. Everyone who thirsts, come, come. There is no exclusivity to when Jesus says come. He says come, everyone. As I was studying for this, I'm like, what are some exclusive clubs that like, I'm never going to get in? Xavier talked the other day about the Disney club. Not a big Disney guy or a big money guy, so neither of those sound appealing to me. <laughs> the top most exclusive clubs in America, a lot of them are in New York. One of them's the Union Club, another one's the University Club, another one's the Knickerbocker club, which is where the Knicks get their name. But I was doing some research, like, who gets into these things? John D. Rockefeller, very rich man, was in the Union Club. He was not able to be in the Knickerbocker Club. He's new money. He's not old money. Like, me and Aubrey used to live in Texas. That's old money. We used to valet cars for old money parties, and it was insane. We're like, what is this party? He's like, oh, this is the party for our janitors. The part, real party is like two weeks away, and we're driving Maseratis. It's like old money. Like, they just don't even think. It's like they would laugh at Scottsdale. Like, <laughs> oh, that's cute, Scottsdale. John D. Rockefeller, you're not able to get into this. Not until he has a son, and a son has a son. His grandson was able to finally get into the Knickerbocker Club. All right, your money's old enough now. Come. Come. Jesus has no stipulations. He has no resume checks. He says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come, come, come. He says that word four times. Come, everyone, come, enjoy, come, eat, come, be satisfied. Come, come, come. Who? Everyone. But just to like give us some language for like, all right, is everyone including me? Yes. But Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Spirit, gives us sort of a few breakdowns of people. He gives us two types of people. Here's how I describe them based off this text. The first type is the thirsty and broke. The second type is the self-sufficient 
and unsatisfied. Who is the thirsty and broke? Let's read verse 1 again together. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He, she, who has no money, come buy and eat, buy wine and milk without money and without price. The first type of person is the thirsty and broke. You have nothing. It involves every stage of life. We've got every stage of life in here. Every single stage of life involves those of you who are thirsty and broke. And you come in here sort of on your last leg. And you're like, I got nothing left to give. This is my story. This is how I became a Christian. I was thirsty and broke. Well, what was my thirsty and brokenness? I was a high school kid. And God took away the big pillars of my life. Here's what they were. Girls, my girlfriend broke up with me. For a loser, as they always do. <laughs> baseball. I did not have the baseball season I expected to be able to do all the great things I was going to do in the world of baseball to be the greatest baseball player that all of you have ever heard of. And then the big one. My biological mother is dying down in Tucson in the season, senior year of high school, death. So all I'm all about girls and what I get from that and baseball and what I get from that. And oh, by the way, he takes away the big pillar. You're going to die one day. And I was thirsty and I was broke. I was spiritually bankrupt. I had echoes of Catholicism in my life, but I had no life-giving Savior. And I go off to a baseball camp and I hear the gospel preached and essentially they say, come, everyone who's thirsty, who's broke, whose girlfriend just broke up with them, whose mother's dying, whose life is not what they thought it. Come, come and eat. This is how Jesus says it. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you poor in spirit? Blessed are you. Happy are you. Why? Jesus doesn't say, blessed is the poor in spirit. I'm going to give you a hug. Blessed is the poor in spirit. I'm going to fix this little season for you. He doesn't say that. Blessed are you poor in spirit. I'm giving you the kingdom of heaven. How do you get the kingdom of heaven? If you're thirsty and broke and you receive the invitation to come. But here's the other type of person he describes just to get everyone else in this room implicated by this. It's the self-sufficient and unsatisfied. Let's see verse 2. How does Isaiah talk about this other group of people? They're not broke, per se, but they're spending their money unwisely. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. This is the self-sufficient and yet unsatisfied. Just to break it down even more, I'd say there's a religious category and an irreligious category. The religious category are you in the room who are using religion, whatever that means to you, to attain whatever you think the good life might be. You're attending here, you're maybe giving here, or doing good deeds. You're like doing the religious thing because you think the ultimate best life involves some sort of listening to whatever religion has to say. The whole Bible summarizes that person in the story, the prodigal son. They have an older brother and a younger brother. The older brother is the dutiful good one. He takes care of his dad, he does the dishes, he cleans up, he doesn't complain, he does everything all of us parents wish our kids did. Never once complains. He's the perfect kid. 
Except if he did an x-ray on his heart, he was doing it for the wrong reasons. He just wanted his dad's stuff. He did not want his dad. That's the religious person. And that's some of you in this room. That's just your flinch in life, is I'm going to do good because it's what you're supposed to do, and ultimately I'm going to get blessed by that. And Isaiah would say, why are you spending your money on that bread that will not satisfy? Stop it. But here's the other type, the irreligious. You're trying to get the most out of life by living life completely to the fullest, regardless of what religion or people might say. You're going to tackle it all. Sexual fulfillment, relational fulfillment, financial fulfillment, vocational job fulfillment. You're chasing it all. Because you think in those things or in a collection of those things, you're going to get life. You're a self-starter. You started a business and you can see just over the horizon. That's where my life lies. I'm going to get there. I just know it. I'm not fully there yet. I'm eating this bread and it doesn't quite satisfy. But if I just go a little further, it will. I know it. Why are you eating bread that does not satisfy? I was reading this interview, Stephen Tyler Aerosmith. That's who I was raised on. Any Aerosmith fans in the room? He was talking about Kurt Cobain. And one of his deep regrets in life is not pursuing Kurt Cobain harder because both of them had heroin addictions. Cobain killed himself. Stephen Tyler got through. But the journalist is talking about this movie, Train Spotting, which I haven't seen. It's about drug use. And there's a line in there. I'll clean it up for church. But he says, what's heroin like? It's like, think of you the best sexual experience you've ever had. And times it by a thousand. It's that good. And the journalist asked Stephen Tyler, is that true? He's like, it's way better. At first. And that is what some of us are holding on to. It's way better. And Stephen Tyler would say, at first. And Isaiah would say, why are you spending money on bread that does not satisfy? Come, come. Broke, thirsty, come. Self-sufficient and unsatisfied, come. Come, come. This is the invitation. There is one invitation, and it's to come. Isaiah says it like this. Come, come, come. Why are you spending your money for that which is not bread, laboring for that which will not satisfy? Listen to me. Eat what's good. Delight yourself in rich food. Jesus would summarize this with this. He says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because all that other stuff isn't giving you rest. Religion, irreligion, heroin, work, money. Come. There's one invitation from the Word of God, and it's simply to come. Now here's the question. How easy is this invitation to receive. Like, what do I got to do? Like, I was just curious as I was saying, I'm like, how do I, if I was to switch religions, how would I become a Jew? I'm like, oh, well, there's a lot of work involved. I'm too lazy, so I'm not going to become Jewish. How do I become a Mormon? How do I become, how do you enter in and come and become a Christian? This is, takes us to our second thing. And there are only two requirements in this invitation. But first, I just want to remind you, just so there's no, absolutely no confusion on this point. When I say the invitation come, it is a free invitation. It says here, 
Why do you spend your... Uh, verse 1. He who has not eat, come by and eat, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Isaiah saying, come, we have a free invitation. This will cost you nothing. Christianity is free and it's open to all. So do not hear me saying, oh, and the bullet points are this. This is a free invitation, but there are some requirements. It's free. Here's the other thing we need to know. It's a word-based religion. Verse 3, let's read this. Uh, middle of verse 2. In the middle it says there, how do we receive this invitation? Here's what Isaiah says. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Pause right there. So that's the opposite of how kids listen. It's like leaning in, hearing the words, and putting 100% of the ownership of the message being received on yourself. And not pulling what kids do because they're immature and say, oh, I didn't hear you say that. Right. Yes, you did. Get over here right now. <laughs> Sorry. Trauma. <laughs> Long weekend. <laughs> Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Verse 3, here it is. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. How do you become a Christian? There is a message of Christianity that must be given to you. And you must listen diligently. And you must hear it. And you must receive it. You must receive the words of life that come from scriptures by the Spirit because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You must receive that message so that your soul might live. This is a word-based religion. We're going to live one day with the person of Jesus Christ, amen? But for now, we have to cherish and honor and protect words because words matter. Words are how we become Christians. Listen diligently. Now, what are the two requirements to this invitation? Just so you're all aware. Here's the first one. Go to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And call upon him while he is near. Stop right there. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And call upon him while he is near. What's the first requirement? I would just say this. It has an expiration date. God says, come. Through the prophet Isaiah. Jesus says, come to me. All you are heavy laden and weary. I will give you rest. Both of those are the same promise. Unpacked at different parts of the Bible. Both have the same stipulation. It has an expiration date. It's coming to an end. The invitation does not last forever. God has other chapters in his story. He must write his return and bringing heaven and earth back together so that this earth may be perfected once and for all and the saints get to live with him forever. But there is an expiration date. While he may be found. I saw a funny version of this little TikTok video. This couple run into the cruise ship, and this person's recording them, and they miss the cruise ship. Seven days in the Bahamas, and the cruise ship goes off into the ocean, and they're standing out, and the guy's like way on top, just like, I can't believe they left. Well, the cruise ship said it was leaving here. And I think this one's really hard for us, because I think we're in one of the most lenient cultures ever. We don't RSVP anymore. And if you're like from Texas or you're older than 60, you're frustrated by it. And I'm starting to get frustrated by it. But that's just the reality. And you RSVP late. 
and you show a blade to stuff, you show a blade to this. Why? Because you're allowed to. You don't even have to put pants on to go to work anymore. Like, we live in a weird <laughs> world. It's like, that dude is in his underwear for sure, and I'm buying insurance from him. This is an insane <laughs> world we live in. That's bonkers. Come while he may be found. The most serious picture I've seen of this that the Lord gave me, my old church, I'm pastoring, shepherding. This guy goes sideways on his wife. He's got four kids. I'm meeting with them. Dude, repent, turn around, repent, turn around. I'm young. I don't know much, but I'm like full of gusto. Like, dude, come on. Meeting with them. One day I get a call. He had a seizure. He drove into a light pole. God took him. And I, God did that for a lot of reasons, allowed that for a lot of reasons. One of them, I think, was for the severity of the fact that this has an expiration date on it for a young pastor who lives in a lackadaisical culture. Seek him while he may be found. So some of you in this room have heard this invitation more than once, and you've kicked it down the road, and you've kicked it down the road. And I'm not going to threaten you with you're going to get in a car accident. I'm just going to tell you what Scripture says. And Scripture has never once lied. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Which means that one day when you decide to pick up that can, he might not be able to be found. There's an expiration date on this. Parents, there's an expiration date. Live accordingly. Retired folks, there's an expiration date. Live accordingly. People who have rejected Jesus, there is an expiration date. Come while he may be found. But here's the other requirement in here. Verse 7 gives it to us. So requirement is it doesn't last forever. Here's the other one. Here's what we have to do. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. What's the next thing? We have to actually repent. We have to turn. We have to forsake. We have to return. We have to stop and do different than what we've been doing. So just to biblically unpack this, the word is repentance. The Greek word pensis is simply thoughts. One of my favorite books is a book called Pensis. It's just the thoughts of this one guy, Blaise Pascal, an old mathematician. Pensis, it's his thoughts. So what does Christianity say when it says re-pensis, re-thoughts, re Think. How do you receive this invitation? You must rethink. You must stop and rethink your life and turn to the Lord. That's the only requirement. If you don't, you don't get in on it. If you stop and rethink, you get this. That's it. Like even Jesus' first words. This is like picture I join the military and I go off and I get deployed for, which I know is impossible, 20 years. And, I'm a, and I come back to see, and my oldest is 33 at this point. My kids are all adults. And I'm back. I haven't seen them in forever. And the first word out of my mouth is very important. Jesus Christ. God has not been on the earth since he left the garden. Kicked him out. Now Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is on this earth. The gospel of Mark says, here he is. His first recorded words are this, the kingdom's here, period, repent, period. God's announcement to a world as he enters in is simply this, turn around, 
You're going the wrong way. All of you. From the Oval Office down to the slums. Repent. All of you. That's it. That's the only requirement. You must turn around to get this invitation. I was thinking, we had a really great discussion with our kids on Saturday, just talking about life, and I'm really good at doing this, writing book titles. So I have like 2,000 book titles written in my head. <laughs> Zero books. But here's my parenting book title. Raising Weird Kids in a Normal World. Here's what's hard about being a kid. Everything that's normal is not what this says. This is weird. That's normal. So what are we inviting our kids into? Repentance. To doing things differently. To turning around. What is Isaiah inviting us into? Repentance. Turn around. Stop. Turn around and come towards him. Period. Have you repented? Now, here's what's hard about Christianity, especially in our vein. We don't live in a very liturgical or traditional. We don't have lots of uh, orientations and things like that. It's a very loosey-goosey culture, which it is what it is. We can't change it. But I'm reading all these books on uh, boys and men and manhood, and, and all of them say the same thing. We have lost the rites of passage. We have lost the ability to initiate a boy into a man. All, most cultures do it well. Our culture does not. Well, how do you initiate yourself into Christianity? Here's what you do. You repent. But then how do you know? Like, what do you, what do, you do next? Here's a, a, just an encouragement I want to give you and a challenge for some of you. Here's what I, your next step would be baptism. Like, repent, believe the gospel, and then what? Be baptized. I waited three years. Why? Because I was a weenie, period. That was my story. I'm not saying you're a weenie, but it's like, I don't want to get on stage. I don't want to do that. Like, ah, scary. The church is big. I'm still a bonehead. No, you're just being a weenie, Josh. But have you repented? Yes. The second question, have you been baptized? Yes or no? We're going to do baptism after Easter. If you want, fill out the info card, this thing here, or talk to one of the pastors. But we meet with you. We talk through. We're not going to baptize you if you think it's not a good idea or we think. But just come, turn around, and be baptized now. I think would be a nice step. And then you have this marker. And baptism does not mean you are a Christian or that repentance has absolutely happened. But it's a gift from God. It's a sign of what has happened internally in your life. Be Baptized. There's the two requirements. There's an expiration date, and it involves this. Repenses. Repent. Rethink. Now, if you actually turn, what are you going to get? Here are the three offers, and here's the conclusion of our Isaiah time together. The three offers. Just so you know, here's why repentance is hard for all of us, is we think this is why the normal world keeps staying normal. Because what's normal seems better. And when some religious person or your kooky Christian friend tells you, hey, the better life is behind you, it makes no sense because what's in front of you seems all right. But Isaiah now is going to remind us of some beautiful truth of what it means to return to the Lord. And what do we get as we return to the Lord? Here are the three offers in this. Before I do that, I do want to just remind you of the confidence we can have in these offers. I want you to look at these passages. Verse 10. And we're going to bank everything I say to close our time together on, on verse 10 and 11. 
For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. How confident am I in what I'm about to show you from Scripture? I'm as confident as this passage says I should be. Whatever God speaks will happen. Whatever God wants to happen will happen. He will succeed in all he does. And the way he succeeds is through his word and his powerful word. So what we're about to read will absolutely happen. Like I think of what a goofy world we are. We're in the final four was last night. Like whose bracket's still good? I think of the Super Bowl. And just, it was insane. Over the weekend, listening to talk radio, all the people talking about what's going to happen in the Super Bowl? What's going to happen in the Super Bowl? We live in this world where everyone feels the confidence to talk about everything with like total authority. And like 2% of them end up getting lucky and saying the right thing. The Bible has never wasted a semicolon. Everything here you can bank on. I'm going to get in my truck on the way home, turn on talk radio. Hear about the sons a little bit, maybe they nail it, but more than likely they're going to miss it. God's word does not miss. It returns success every time. And here's the first thing we can be confident of is we get life with Jesus. Verse three, incline your ear, come to me. Not to a system, not to a philosophy, not to a zen-like feel. Come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast sure love for David. Come to me, God says through the prophet Isaiah. Here's how Jesus would take that and translate it. He'd simply say, follow me. What is Christianity about at the center of it? At the center of it, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Has my life gotten way better as I become a Christian and walked with him and learned from him? Yes. Has there been suffering? Yes. Do I know what tomorrow brings? No. But I have Jesus. And some of you have Jesus. He said, come to me. You get a relationship with Jesus. Like one of my joys as a pastor, one of my favorite things is doing these uh, membership interviews. People go through the membership class, Chris and Jen go through it, and then we get to have interviews with them after. And we've had some older saints join us, and all of them have this, about two things I've noticed. They have this like friendship talk of just cherishing Jesus. And here's the other thing which is convicting. They talk about their kids like they like them. (laughs) You know what I really like about my daughter? Tell me about that. Oh, so you like your kids. That, but then this, Jesus, I just love Jesus. I love him. He's been too good to me. Like all the religious benefit is not at the center, it's Jesus. It's I get Jesus. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my big brother. Jesus is my king. Jesus is my God. Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus in me, in me, and Jesus Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what this is about, getting Jesus. One of my favorite guys on Twitter, he's a pastor, he's an author. Uh, He has this little tweet thread he does a lot. I love my friend Jesus because. And it sort of breaks through the religious, like, icy, black and white, like, cold, dead religion that's online. And it gets to the heart of what drew me in. 
and keeps me in. I just want to read some of them. I love my friend Jesus because he knows everything I've ever thought and he still does not cross the street to avoid me when he sees me coming. I love my friend Jesus because the blood of his sacrifice speaks a better word than the sweat of my effort. I love my friend Jesus because he chased after me even when I ran and he did not stop till I was found and he tackled me. I love my friend Jesus because he took my death even though he had plenty of time to think it over and every reason to say no. I love my friend Jesus because he's never left me, won't ever leave me, even when I'm most leavable. I love my friend Jesus because even when he calls me on my stuff, he is not naggy or shamey. I love my friend Jesus because he never checks his phone when I'm talking to him. He never brings up my old stuff. I love my friend Jesus because he just doesn't nitpick. He never leaves me behind. He waits with me, unhurried. I love my friend Jesus because when I enter the room, he doesn't shake his head and say, this guy. But he says, this guy. There's a lot more, but I can't get through. Augustine says it like this. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. The Apostle John says it this way, and this is eternal life, that they know God and his son whom he has sent. What is life about? It's about knowing Jesus. How do you get that? You answer the invitation and you come and you get life with Christ forever. Too good to be true. Here's the second thing, is we get abundant pardon. Verse seven and eight. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Abundant pardon. What's interesting, this verse here, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways not your ways. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a while, may have used that. And there's a good chance you use it out of context because often when I think about my ways aren't your ways, my thoughts aren't your, it's sort of either in the like, how God designed the world and we don't get it all, or in the realm of suffering, like we don't really get what he's doing. That's not the context. It's how graciously pardoning his love is. We don't get it. Both in like quantity, think about the number of people being pardoned by God. I did some research. Which president has the most pardons on record? FDR. Jimmy Carter's behind, but most of those were for Vietnam dodging. FDR has 4,000 people he's pardoned. God, how many people have you pardoned? We got a good room in here. And this is just one tiny little church, a blip on the radar of what God is doing in this current moment since Christ. He is abundantly pardoning. But it's not just a quantity, it's a quality thing. Like how abundant is his pardon on you and on me. Most of us think of God as very exacting. He does exactly what he needs to do, or he does just what he needs. There's a precision to it. And what Isaiah is saying, there's not a precision here. He does the pardoning, but he does it abundantly. Like think of the people in your family, your friends, the most generous person you know, and the most stingy person you know. 
And the Bible says this, God, even in his weakness, is stronger than all men. And God, even in his foolishness, it's sort of talking tongue in cheek, but God in his foolishness is smarter than the smartest person you can think of. So the most generous person in your life does not hold a candle to the generosity of God. They actually seem more like the stingy one if you compare them against he who says, my ways aren't your ways. So Christian in this room, you have been abundantly pardoned. Stop eating the bread that does not satisfy of self-help, self-work, righteous deeds, trying to add up some things in your life so that you can experience pardon. Just take him at his word. He has abundantly pardoned you. How am I going to explain this to my people, God thinks? I'll use terms that may make sense to them. So he says this, as far as the east is from the west, so are your sins from me. Like, how would, you tell, how would you describe the furthest distance in this universe? As far as the east is from the west, that's the best you can do. And whatever that is, your sins are further away from me than that. In Hebrews, he says, I have forgotten your sins. Translation, you have been abundantly pardoned. The gospel does not give you a little bit. It gives you a lot. It gives you abundant pardon. And then finally, here's the third thing we can take hold of. We get life instead of thorns. The very last verse in this poem, verse 13, let's read it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into seeking, singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar, which is just a branch with thorns on it, shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What is Isaiah saying here? What's the ultimate picture of Christianity, of following God, of the benefit, the reward, the offer on the other side of the invitation? Instead of thorns, you get life, trees. Beauty, myrtles, cypress, olive trees instead of thorns and thistles. And if you hear the word thorn and you're sort of like, I've heard that before. It's in the very beginning of the book in Genesis. What is thorns about? It's not about sin necessarily. Thorns is about this, the consequence of our sin. What was one of the consequences in the garden for our sin? Genesis 3 says this. God speaking at him, because you listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the tree, which I told you not to. You shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles only it will grow for you. What does this world feel like? It feels like a world full of thorns and thistles. Relationally, vocationally, financially, physically, mentally, spiritually. Thorns and thistles. Thistles. Why does it feel that way, non-Christian? Here's what I see with most non-Christians. You don't have a good answer for that. I'm not saying Christians are perfect, but at least we have an answer for that. It happened because sin entered the world and the world was cursed because of our rebellion. And now the world feels like thorns and thistles. And Isaiah says we get life instead of thorns. Where else do you remember something about some thorns? This is Palm Sunday. 
It's when Jesus rode into town. It was his inauguration as king. And he rides on a donkey that's never been ridden into a city that was going to reject him, a city that was going to execute him. And he rides in, and the leaders of the city take a th crown. No jewels, no gold, no precious stones. It says they twisted together a crown of thorns. The sin and consequence of sin in the world gets placed on his head. And that's the week we're entering into to remember that. We get life instead of thorns. But here's what I want to say. Here's what the gospel says. We get life because of his thorns. I'm reading this great book. Trisha D. told me about it. So whatever she tells you to read, just listen to her. Here's what this guy says about what Jesus does. Look at his death and understands this. He took in hatred and he held it, transformed it, and gave back love. This is what Jesus is doing on the cross. He took in bitterness, he held it, he transformed it, and he gave back graciousness. He took in murder, he held it, transformed it, and gave back forgiveness. Jesus resisted the instinct to give back in kind. Hatred for hatred, curses for curses, jealousy for jealousy, murder for murder. Let me just parenthetically say, do what we do. He did not respond like we respond. Rather, he held, he transformed these things rather than simply retransmitting them. What is the cross? Here it is. He took away the sins of the world by absorbing them at great cost to himself. Here's how Isaiah would say it, and we'll end here. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, and instead of the briar shall come up the murder. Why? Because Jesus absorbed everything that is in the thorn. And he took it, and he wore it, and now we get life. We get life with Jesus. We get abundant pardon, and we get to live in a world knowing that that beginning, that thorns to life is just the beginning. And one day we're going to experience nothing but life, and all thorns will be gone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Palm Sunday. Just a reminder uh, of time and the fact that there are a finite number of Palm Sundays for us to sit in. God, thank you for Palm Sunday and what it meant historically that the king had arrived and he who went to save was killed, rejected was given a crown of thorns instead of a crown of his kingship. So God, we sit in this moment. We all need to come and listen and eat that which is good because we all nibble on bread that does not satisfy. So God, speak life even as we close out our time through your communion. Speak life through the words we sing. Speak life through our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.